Welcome to On the Porch, the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Robert Goff is the author of three novels which make up a tremendous trilogy. They are Trampoline from 2015, Weed Eater from 2018, and Pop, which was just recently released. From 1997 to 2018, Robert Goff directed the Southeast Kentucky Community and Technical College Appalachian Program in Harlan, He's a producer of the Higher Ground Community Performance Series, and he's directed the Southeast Kentucky Revitalization Project, coordinated the Mountain Mural Megafest, and is involved in a number of community building and community organizing efforts throughout the region. Robert grew up in Kingsport, Tennessee, but now lives in Harlan, Kentucky. Welcome to On the Porch, Robert. Hey, Silas. Thanks for having me. Well, we're sure glad to have you. Um... You're here today to talk to us about your new book, Pop, but Pop is the final book in the trilogy that began with Trampoline back in 2015. So why don't you tell us about the trilogy and then tell us what you want listeners to know about Pop. Okay. Um, The trilogy started with a book called Trampoline. Um, The narrator is a, a woman, and she's telling a story about when she was 15, got uh, kind of got caught between uh, an environmental activist grandmother and um, and a mother who was dealing with substance abuse uh, issues, and she's just trying to figure out how to grow up, largely um, not figure out by herself, but find her own way. And then the second book, she's older. Her mother's having a harder time. Um, it's set in 2004, which, um, for me here in Harlan felt like about the roughest year of a series of rough years in terms Mm. of the, um, opioid crisis. Mm -hmm. And it's narrated by two people, uh, Dawn again, and then, uh, uh, a local man who mows her aunt's yard, who Dawn stays with her aunt a lot, and he's kind of in love with the aunt and, uh, he's the weed eater of the title. And um, then this third book uh, is set in the run-up to the 2016 election. And in this book, um, Dawn is, I think, telling a story about when she's 38. And she's got a daughter who's in high school, Nicolette. And they both narrate. And then also um, Dawn's uncle and uh Nicolette's great uncle Hubert, who's been in all three books. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a story for me about, um, you know, I've been, <laughs> I've been alive 57 years and then I've been in Eastern Kentucky over 30 years. And, you know, that the Appalachia that, and really the kind of Appalachian uh, kind of cultural movement that I arrived at when I came to Apple Shop. And the Appalachian movement as it exists now, it's it's different. And people, you know, it's like when I first started teaching uh, at the community college, basically every student I have would have some personal link, could go talk to somebody in their family pretty much, or a neighbor who could remember when coal mining started in Harlan County, mm-hmm. which and and that's no longer true, you know, 30 years later that uh, it's people can't look back to the beginning of that, that era. And so 
anyway, it feels it feels like the culture is in some ways turning the page. It's another generation, and so yeah. um, it's kind of an exploration of that how the how everybody's dealing with that the older generations and the younger generations dawn in the middle. Mm. Well, you have these really vivid characters that have become beloved figures in Appalachian literature. So how do you go about creating a character like Dawn or Jean or Nicolette? I was involved with uh, theater in our community, a lot of oral history-based work. That was, we, were, we worked beginning in 2003 on a play that was a response to the opioid crisis. And in the course of my students interviewing others and uh, my students talking to me, you know, I just heard a lot of uh, women's voices, young women's voices mm-hmm. that were kind of trying to process what was happening. And it was funny. It, it took, I mean, you know, I started, I first went to Timon in 2006. I believe I was in your class that mm-hmm. year. And that was really when I started. The first kind of fiction I tried to write was my entry essay to Hyman. And then when uh, Trampoline came out in 2015, so that was nine years in the making. And in right. that time, I had several younger students that worked in our office that were kind of uh, Dawns of a Kind. So by the time the book came out, it was so many. She was based on so many different people, she really did become her own person. Right. Yeah, I always, uh, especially in Trampoline, to me, she's almost like a, there's a Huck Finn quality about her, mm-hmm. you know, that makes her so memorable. But I mean, but all of your characters are. And, and one thing that makes them so memorable for me is the way that you capture the dialect of the place and it's such a hard thing to do because if you don't do it just right, it can it can make your characters into caricatures, right? And it become it can mm-hmm. become just hee haw. So how do you strike that balance when you're writing dialect or you know using the colloquial? I think a lot of it is you know that they're embedded in action. You know, they're in mm-hmm. something's happening to them or they're trying to get somewhere and they're trying to do something. And, you know, that they're not thinking about how they're talking. Mm-hmm. They're like, they've got too much going on <laughs> in their lives. To, and, you know, and they're kind of in the, in the community. They're just in, in places. Most, I never thought of that before, but, you know, most of the situations in these books, they're among people that they are not particularly self-conscious around. And mm. so, you know, that, that this, that combination of knowing what they sound like and having a good, strong idea of, you know, what words they do and don't use. And then, so then it's kind of like the language that we know and hear every day, that kind of is in service to what's going on in the book. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah, I think you. I think you're one of the best at capturing the way people talk um, in the region, and I often point students uh, who are trying to write dialect to your books. Um, now, one thing that really makes your books unique is that they're illustrated, and you do those illustrations. Um, they're not quite graphic novels, but they're also not just illustrations. The pictures are actual parts of the story. 
They're not just meant to be looked at offhandedly. So can you talk about that process just a little bit? I had about given up mm-hmm. around 2010, 2011, and uh, I couldn't get the rules right. And so I started making little zines, little 16-page chapters. And I thought, well, if, if I'm going to just do this for myself, I'm going to do it the way I want to. And then that's when the drawings came in. Mm-hmm. So that was part of it. And then the other part was that I was very interested in first-person narration, and I love the idea that the drawings could reinforce the fact that this was a person speaking to you. And it was kind of like the drawings served as kind of a, a middle place between the page and, you know, like a, a film or documentary mm-hmm. or something where you're seeing somebody talking but it did reinforce that idea. And also, I just, you know, I love doing the drawings. That's that's a big part of my identity. Mm-hmm. So there they were. Yeah, I have some of those zines that I bought on that back table and over yeah. at Time and Settlement School. It also gives the books just such a cinematic quality. And, I mean, I know that you are you're somebody that really appreciates cinema. So I'm wondering if, you know, when you're writing – are you sort of seeing what you're writing like a movie in your head? Do you think about it that way? You know, I definitely wanted something to be, this is the other thing, another thing about the drawings. I wanted them to be relatively accessible to my community college students. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I wanted a lot of like a trampoline, especially I want a lot of car chases, you know, a <laughs> lot of kind of mayhem that would make action scenes so that, you know, it would kind of propel you. And really that kind of uh, language of TV and movies yes. in terms of tropes and stuff. A teacher that, that I spent the most time with, uh, Darnell Arnold, she mm-hmm. always taught us to, to just generate scenes, scene after scene yes. after scene, which also pretty cinematic approach to writing. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, I'd love for our listeners to hear you read a little bit from Pop. So before we come on the air, I ask you to pick a couple of sections. So uh, do you have one of those handy right now? I sure do. Are you ready? Yep, read it for us. Okay. All right, so this one's Hubert, and uh, it's Chapter 9, Tildy Packs a Knife. I brought my nephew Preston with me to go to Tennessee to get the washer dryer. He's a good boy, hard of gold. Talks all the time, which makes him good to travel with. Saves you wear and tear on your radio. He talked about monster movies one time. The whole time we was in the store getting my friend Tildy chicken feed. Tildy lived on the way out of town in a place off by itself in Shifter's Mill. When we got to Tildy, she was in the garden across across the road from her house, her long gray ponytail resting against her back. She had on a blue hoodie and loose blue pants, was on her hands and knees in the wet ground. When I pulled onto the gravels in front of her camp house, she looked up and smiled. Tildy was my age. I'd known her since we were little. Tildy was from Bowtie. We used to play together. Kids treated Tildy rough, so she didn't do like they expected. It wasn't no better at home, so at age 12, Tildy went to live with an aunt out in the mountains in Knott County. I didn't see Tildy after that. Didn't expect to ever see her again. Then one night in the summer of 2014, I was in my friend Mary Beth's bar in Lexington got to talking to this woman and it was Tildy. I didn't recognize her. She was having a rough patch, been sick, couldn't seem to find her place. 
I told her there was room on Longridge for her, and she came and lived with us for a while, but then got her own place. Me and Tildy got close, and now we're thick as thieves. Since I got with her, my life got better. She got me to sell the store, not be such an outlaw, and get my Social Security and disability. Press don't follow me in his socks and winter flip-flops, and I got to the got the chicken feed out of the truck, took it to Tildy's shed building. The rooster crowed, and chicken scrambled this way and that. And we followed Tildy in the house by the back door. She took out a bag of little Reese cups all in their golden foil and scattered a handful on the kitchen table like she's feeding chickens. And Tildy said, can I fix you in a bowl of soup? And we sat down, and Tildy dipped us each out a ladle of vegetable soup and set the bowls in front of us. I asked her, what she's doing out there i knew i just wanted to hear her say she said plant my peas and she got out her george foreman and made us a grilled cheese <laughs> she said when them movie people come and i i said kind of gruff i guess i don't know she said why are you so sold up and she wiped the dripping hands on a towel had a picture of a hand crank coffee grinder on it i said my ungodly burdens until he said maybe you ain't packing them right and i sucked my soup straight from the bowl said maybe i ain't until the unwrapped Reese cup handed it to me, and she washed and stacked collard greens like they were cash money, straightened the stack like a bank teller doing her count. And then she sliced them into ribbons, and I got up and kissed Tilly on top of her head, and she smelled a pretty soap and tobacco and sweat. And when we we're outside, I said, Preston, check to see the chicken water ain't crows. And I got a few handful of feed and spread it about a dry spot near the coop, put some in the feeder. Screen door slap until they headed back to the garden. She said, walking, you don't seem in no hurry to get to Tennessee. And she got to the far side of the road and creeled her ankle, stepping off the blacktop. She stumbled, went to her knees, and then turned a somersault down the gravel slope. And I ran to her, and she tried to sit up. I said, baby, you all right? And she put her hand to her side, and it come back bloody. She'd stuck herself with the pair knife she'd been carrying to cut a few more collars. She said, I said, let's see, and she lifted her hoodie and her shirt, and the tip of her knife was sticking through her. I said, don't look like it hit nothing but fat. She said, likely so, pull it out. And I pulled the knife out, and she pressed the hoodie against the hose, and I said, you want to go to the ER? And she said, you're just looking for an excuse to miss them movie people, ain't you? And we went in the house, and I put hydrogen peroxide on Tildy's puncture and lay gauze pads over the hole and wrapped black emsa tape around her middle and when we'd gone around several times i cut the end of the tape with my hawk bill and patted it down till said there you go good as new and she got up read it through the drawer and got her a bigger knife i said where are you going she said finish what it started and i stood on the porch as she went and peeled back the garden cover she'd made out of an old vinyl billboard of a lady dentist cut two sacks of greens and come back to the house Tildy stood there at the fence, a collared sack in either hand, looked at me and said, What are y'all waiting on? I'm fine. Go get us some money. And she should have gone to the ER on that stab wound. She should have gone to the doctor several times and had falls, throwing up, dizzy spells. We needed to talk about it, and we would. That was Robert Gopp, author of the new novel Pop, reading from Pop here on the porch. I'm your host, Silas House, and this is WUKY 91.3 FM. There's a couple of things in that um, that you just, I don't know if it, anybody could uh, write that unless they were really immersed in the region. There are a few things, but a couple of things are, um, I have said before that I creeled my ankle and people mm-hmm. who are not from the region don't know what that means, you know, and <laughs> and also the way you say uh, ER, 
which is so mm-hmm. specific to to uh, southeastern Kentucky, I think. So it's just it's little details like that that make the uh, uh, the place come alive and the dialect come alive. It's so rich, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, Robert, you tackle big issues in your books, uh, environmental devastation, the fight for environmental justice, labor issues, drugs, yet um, you don't allow the issues to overcome the human stories that are at the hearts of the book. So how do you pull that off? It's a hard thing to do. I mean, I think one thing when I set out on this is that uh, I was very much interested in the fact that I haven't been around activism and haven't found it very dramatic. It seems like so much of what the people who, not the writers so much as the people that cause fiction to be in readers' hands, you know, that whole conglomerate of people, Mm -hmm. you know, that there was some idea that that wasn't personal, that activism and the big issues weren't personal. Really, when I thought I had a book was after I had been involved. When our KFTC chapter was uh, working on protecting the watershed that the highest point Kentucky was in, you know, we met every week for Mm -hmm. a year. And that was a real experience. You know, that was an experience. And, you know, when OxyContin hit, you know, that, that was like, that first lesson that you get taught about plot is, you know, get you a good character and then put them up in a tree they can't get out of and then set the tree on fire. But I think that, you know, I've tried to do that in every book, have a, uh, have some kind of environmental crisis that they're dealing with on top of everything else. Right. Right. You have great eclectic taste in music. So I'd be remiss to not ask you what songs or artists were important to the writing of pop. Well, do you do this? I always have kind of a playlist that's yep. my novel playlist. It's kind of the, and so I think I had like three hours of. <laughs> yeah. I put this in my acknowledgments when I was thanking people, but that uh, Nicolette, Don's daughter's favorite band, is uh, the Local Honeys. Mm. Yep. And and then then Don really went crazy for uh, Slut Pill. Are yes. you familiar with I them? Am. Yeah, they're a lot of they're, fun. Yeah, yeah, they're a, a punk rock band that uh, is is was based in uh, Whitesburg, and I thought their first album was one of the best. It's one of my favorites, especially punk rock albums that's come out in a long time. Me too. And yeah, um, let's see who else is on that soundtrack. Ola Bell Reed. I got real into Ola Bell Reed um, in this the while writing this. And then uh, another guy I love that uh, Montana and Linda Jean from the local Huns put me on to is, is Darren Hackward, mm-hmm. who uh, is kind of in that musical circle and put out, I think, just a stunning record that yes. uh, Signs and Wonders, I think it is. Mm-hmm. What are the last couple of books you read that you'd like to recommend? It's been a big season for our buddies. I feel for them because they haven't got to do their tours. But Wes Brown, you had him on the show, didn't you? Wasn't he? Yes. Uh, Hillbilly Hustle. Very recent, yep. Yep. Um, 
I was completely knocked out by every bone of prayer. Mm-hmm. I I think it is great. Um by Ashley Blooms. Mm-hmm. Uh of course Leah Hampton had her book come out. Uh is the Starka face we call it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I loved uh I love that Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Yes. Uh by Disha Feel y'all. And I tell you who I really uh been crazy about uh i've read a lot of keys a lane mostly essays and stuff but i i play i did heavy in like a day mm. and then a lot of his commentary on what's going on is amazing mm-hmm. and then amelia my partner got me for christmas the indigenous people's history of the united states which i really would recommend by roxanne dunbar ortiz it's a mm. it's a history of the united states but through indigenous eyes right. so it's kind of looking east instead of looking west mm-hmm. but those are all all great recommendations i hope our readers will look for but uh, i especially hope they'll look for pop it'll be available wherever fine books are sold so thank you so much for being here with us today robert no problem glad to do it thanks for being there and thanks to all of you for listening to close us down here's one of the songs that robert got listened to while writing pop his new novel Um, here's the local honeys doing We Shall All Be Reunited. Until next time, be good to one another. Thanks for listening to the podcast of On the Porch. I'm your host, Silas House. This episode was engineered and produced by DeBron Thomas at the studios of WUKY 91.3 FM in Lexington, Kentucky. We are listener-supported radio, and we thank you for joining us.